This is the Concealed Carry Podcast, episode number 199. And welcome to the Concealed Carry Podcast, part of the ConcealedCarry.com network. I am your host, Riley Bowman, and today I'm joined by Matthew Marister. Hey, Riley. How are you doing? Fantastic. Glad to have you on the podcast today, Matthew. As always, I'm glad to be here. And folks that uh, are tuning in via Facebook, you already have heard this, but for those of you listening to the audio-only feed, Matthew is our recently uh, brought on you know, in a, in a much more uh, active capacity to the podcast in that you are now assigned as the producer of the podcast. Yep. And I'm still trying to figure out what that means. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but hopefully it'll, uh, it'll free you up to do some more stuff and uh, I can take, take a little off your shoulders. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you as part of the team. So uh, today, folks, we are talking about uh, the, latest, the most recent news and information from the gun industry across the, the U.S. and also the world. We have a story out of South Africa today, too. Uh, as you know, each week, the beginning part of the week, typically on Tuesdays, we release a, a podcast episode featuring news stories and justified defensive gun use stories uh, from around the world. And uh, these are just filled with awesome nuggets of information uh, things to do, things not to do, as you'll find out from the very first story we share today. But first, I do need to let you know that today's episode is brought to you by Glock eTrainer. And the Glock eTrainer is brought to you by ConcealedCarry.com. It's a simple and inexpensive tool to elevate your dry fire training, especially if you carry a Glock pistol. No tools required. It's super simple, very easy. Just slip on the Glock Easy Trainer and you can run drills work on trigger manipulation and much more without having to rack the slide to reset the trigger after each trigger press. Check it out and learn more at GlockEtrainer.com. We just got some new models in. We've got now three types of models. So this is news. This is brand spanking new. These literally just showed up. We've get, the type one fits most of your standard Glocks. Okay, so you're, 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 by standard, we're talking your Glock 17s, 19s, 22s, 23s. You know, they're all basically anything that's chambered in 9mm or uh, 40, essentially, is that type one. All right. Then we've got the little bit wider slide models. Those are your type twos. They're going to fit your 10mm and 45 ACP cartridges. And then we now are releasing the Type 3s, which fit the Glock 43 and 42. So, very exciting news. Uh, Check out GlockETrainer.com. Today is also brought to you by Guardian Nation. I've got my Guardian Nation shirt on today, representing proudly. (laughs) Uh, If you haven't checked out Guardian Nation yet, I would encourage you to do so. One of the very first benefits you'll receive is a welcome kit. I don't know if a lot of people realize they're going to get a welcome kit. And in that welcome kit is a Guardian Nation shirt and all kinds of other little goodies and a welcome letter from us here at concealedcarry.com. Besides that, you can qualify for upcoming quarterly gear boxes and all of the online resources available to members only in our members only area uh, area and dashboard. So check out guardiannation.com to learn more. So with that, I'm actually going to jump now, Matthew, into our very first story. Uh, I've been teasing it for a couple of minutes now. 
And this one, as I mentioned, is on one hand, I mean, this story started out in our justified section, right? Right. Because right. you've got a couple of bad guys and they're doing something bad. And really what, what's going on here is a burglary. Okay. And you have a, you know, would be do-gooder, <laughs> a good Samaritan that feels, Hey, I, I need to do something about, you know, there's, there's this bad thing going on. I need to step in and try to do something about this. But sometimes when we do that and we're not prepared or we're not well educated enough, we make mistakes. And that's kind of what happens here. And it, it, it's apparent as you read the article that the sheriff's department says uh, it's possible that the neighbor that tried to do the good thing, the right thing, may be facing charges, including for reckless discharge of a firearm. Yes. Let's get into the story. <laughs> so this happened in, in Apple Valley, California. This was on uh, losangeles.cbslocal.com. So basically the local CBS News uh, website in, uh, in the LA area. It says two burglary suspects in Apple Valley early Saturday morning were stopped by armed neighbors. The men were trying to break into a home which hasn't been occupied since its previous owner passed away. That's a clue, right? <laughs> so we basically have a vacant home. Uh, a neighbor noticed something wasn't right, and after calling 911, confronted the thieves with a handgun. The neighbor shot the tires on the suspect's vehicle and the ground, keeping the suspects detained until deputies arrived. Another neighbor heard the gunshots and arrived at the residence armed with a shotgun. Seems like they might have tried to hop in the car and drive away, said Eric or the neighbor Eric Reinhardt. He did shoot some shots into the car to prevent the vehicle from leaving, and it didn't leave. When sheriff's deputies arrived, they arrested 31-year-old Justin Elder and 59-year-old David Turner. They found evidence that the Apple Valley men had burglarized the same home just a couple months ago. Neighbors say it's the type of area where people look out for each other, and this is why, and that's why this pair of thieves was caught. However, stepping up may have consequences, as the Victor Valley Sheriff's Department says the neighbor could face charges for reckless discharge of a firearm. Other neighbors say that's wrong. Let's talk about why that, why that's even a possibility in this case, right? So what do we have here? We have two guys that have broken into this house, which is a vacant house. It hasn't been occupied for several months. It was previously occupied by somebody, but they passed away. So the owner of the home is, is dead and gone. Vacant house. These two dudes break in. They've broken in before. They're, I don't know what they're taking. I don't know what's left in that house. But a neighbor notices this, and they decide to step in and use deadly force. Although I, I don't think that's what the neighbor was thinking they were doing. They were using, I mean, they were trying to prevent escape. But in the process of doing so, they were using a deadly weapon. What's the problem with this, Matthew? Yeah, a couple problems. Um, obviously, you know, state laws are going to are uh, different when it comes to using deadly force. But um, in general, I think it's safe to say that no state's going to allow it. Well, I think Texas might allow you to. Um, <laughs> but outside of Texas, I don't think that um, there are other states that allow you to use deadly force in the protection of property. And that seems to be um, what happened here that you know, they went over there to stop them from leaving with the, uh, the property that they took out of, out of the house. 
Yeah. You know, what's interesting here, right, is that the neighbor, the focus seems to be on shooting the vehicle. He shoots the tires out on the car. And it says he also shoots into the ground. I would indicate that I would, I would think that that was meant to be warning shots, right? Probably, right. Two things here. I don't care where you live. I don't care even so much what the law says. Okay. I think this is just good common sense. I also think it's like a, a values or morals sort of thing. Like, I don't think it's right to use a, a deadly weapon where rounds could potentially be skipped off the ground and strike an innocent bystander could be a, six-year-old girl across the street on her bicycle and you miss that tire or a bullet passes through that tire or or maybe you're just shooting into the ground to to, to make warning shots it, here's the fact it, the fact of the matter is you are using a deadly weapon with a projectile that you can't always control where it ends up in the the possibility of injuring someone else that shouldn't that you don't want to or you don't intend to injure is far too great to even take the chance. Don't take warning shots, period. And don't shoot out tires on cars. <laughs> is, it, is it, you know, that difficult? Don't do it. Don't do either of those things. I don't care if in Texas they say, well, you can in some instances, you know, defend your property with deadly force. I don't know that that necessarily goes so far as to say that you are justified to shoot out tires on cars to defend your property. Right. Because I just think it's a poor, it's poor tactics and it's poor use of that weapon. I agree totally. And, and, you know, it kind of underlines or underscores the whole concept of why we use deadly force to begin with. I mean, um, you know, when we're using deadly force, we're, stopping a threat to our, our lives or somebody else's life. And if you frame it in that context, it, it, you know, you would see the, the ludicrousy of shooting at a car or tires or warning shots. And, uh, you know, not only, like you said, the legal aspect, but the moral aspect of, you know, why do we use deadly force and, and are we going to injure somebody else? Um, in our application of that, if we're going to do that, then it's probably not, not wise. You know, if we're recklessly shooting at a, at a car, it's just not safe. Yeah. And maybe, maybe this area, I mean, maybe this area is way out in the, in the boonies or something like that. Um, I don't know. Patrick chimes in and says he's been through this area. Um, it's a Tom Ming community. I'm, I don't, I don't know anything about Tom Ming. Uh, but, uh, uh, but apparently it's a like a farm more like a farming community. So it sounds like it is a little gotcha. bit more rural. Right. Um, but that, even that, so. That's some context. But yeah, even so, it doesn't matter so much where you're located. Uh the, the fact is don't shoot at tires of cars and don't shoot at the ground as you know for warning shots or up in the air or anywhere for that matter for warning shots. Here's the thing. I don't think this homeowner, this neighbor that was trying to do good. Uh, I don't think they felt comfortable or that, that they felt like they could shoot these in, that, uh, these burglars, okay? If you don't feel comfortable shooting somebody, then don't use your gun. That, that's not that hard. So anyway, I, yeah, and, and Lucas chimes in. He says, thank you for covering stuff like this. People need to be more educated about this. That's Yes, thank you, Lucas. I, I'm glad you get it. The, it is stories like this that, I get frustrated when I read them because it's like, why are we doing this? This is 
one of the reasons why when the anti-gunners say, if we armed everybody in America, it would turn into the wild, wild west. Well, it's because of stories like this, they're able to point at and say, you see, you see, we got crazies out there. I did want to point out one other thing before, and, and we should move on. And that is that the second neighbor showed up to the scene with a shotgun because he heard gunshots. That response was completely legitimate and justified. Now, once he got there, I think he was like, oh, hey, we're, we're good here. I'm not doing anything, you know. But he heard gunshots, and he came, he came out with his shotgun. Kudos on him. I mean, we could talk about, and as I will talk about here in a minute, too, I think with regard, actually, no, it was this story I was thinking about, too. That's another thing. This neighbor went out of his way, went out of his home, not the second neighbor, the first neighbor, and invited the opportunity for him to screw up and get himself legally in hot water. The second neighbor kind of did the same thing as far as he could have just hunkered down, t- took cover in his home. That's probably the more reasonable thing to do. Although I get it when people, you know, I mean, this is a tight knit community. It sounds like people are trying to do the right thing. They don't want, you know, they're, they're going to step up to the plate and, and, and try to do, you know, whatever is necessary to protect their neighbors. Uh, so the second neighbor, you know, he's showing up and he's like, Hey, I'm, I'm, late, I'm late to the party, but I'm ready to go. Uh, but, but his response was reasonable. I think in that he heard gunshots, he brought a, an effective weapon, but he didn't use it. So uh, good on him for recognizing, you know, that it would be inappropriate, I think, in that situation to use his weapon. You know, and one thing I did want to notice or note that in the article, it does say that they call 911 first. Mm. And, you know, Lucas, I think, or Patrick, Patrick said that, you know, this is a real rural, rural, rural area. So, you know, this might be a, a situation where you have one rural deputy and it takes him 45 minutes to get out there. And, you know, this might be um, one of those situations where most of these people, that's how they take care of people breaking in the houses and cars and doing stuff like that. They look out for one another. And so, you know, um, it, it, we have to understand that based on where we live, we might look at scenarios differently, but overall, we still have to err on the side of preserving life, no matter what it is. And, um, yep. you know, they called 911. They might've said, Hey, we'll have a deputy out there in 45 minutes. And they say, Hey, I'm going to go stop this guy because I, you know, they've been burglarizing this home over and over. But at the same time, you know, sometimes think about the collateral damage of what could happen and, uh, get, get the license plate, get a good idea on the, on the people. If you have a phone, take pictures of the people as they drive away and turn it over to the deputy when he gets there 45 minutes later. And, you know, um, you're, you're putting your neck out big time, um, for liability purposes and all kinds of things. So, um, we do look at things differently, but depending on where we live, but, um, always have that in the back of your mind as far as I'm responsible for these shots. Am I putting the general public in, in, you know, in jeopardy by, by doing what I'm doing? Good thoughts, Matthew. Hey, folks, I told you that I would uh, share with you details about this uh, giveaway that we are doing to celebrate our 200th episode, which is our very next episode. It should be released on Thursday of this week. Uh, we'll likely do, you know, around 11 a.m. Mountain Time, a Facebook Live, a Concealed Carry podcast episode. To celebrate episode number 200, we'll make a big deal out of it. We already are. We are... Uh, doing this big giveaway. We're giving away like, 
I don't know, $1,500 worth of stuff. We're pretty close to it. Uh, we've got uh, dry fire kits with cert pistols and, you know, different, you know, awesome things as part of that. We've got, uh, um, what else do we have in that giveaway? We've got. There's a backpack. There's a cert yep. trainer. Um, the Mantis X. You got a Mantis X in one of the packages. Um, the Glock E-Trainer. Um, let me think. Uh, yep. A couple, couple uh, memberships to Guardian Nation. Don't forget about that. Yep. Uh, we've got, uh, what else? We've got, um, I got the link here, by the way. And on the second page, if you go through this, you'll see uh, all the stuff that's listed available for, you know, for giving away all these different prizes that you can qualify for. There's, there's five packages of prizes we're giving away. Um, and so go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway 200 G I V E A W A Y concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway and get qualified to be in the drawing for winning one of these five great prizes. Uh, to do that, one small little, little, little thing we're asking you to do is fill out a brief survey about the podcast. Uh, and that will take you to the next page where you can put in, and I think it only requires your first name. So if you're, if you're concerned about privacy, all we need is a first name, an email address. I think you're, it's optional to include your phone if you want to make it a little bit easier for us to get a hold of you to let you know you've won a prize. But name, email address, I think are the two things that are required, and then uh, phone number and stuff. And we will contact you once we do the drawing. We'll do the drawing actually next week on Tuesday. Uh, the 20th of February. And so with that drawing, uh, we'll do that drawing around the time, the same time we're doing the, the 201st episode of the podcast. We'll contact winners after that. You will have up till midnight on February 19th. So Monday of next week, you'll have up till midnight to get in and participate in the survey and uh, put in your information to qualify to be part of the drawing for the 200th episode giveaway. So just so we're clear, we are celebrating our 200th episode, but the giveaway and the drawing and the survey and all that lasts right up till the night before our 201st episode. So January, or excuse me, February 19th, midnight, you can still qualify. Go to concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway to sign up. So next story, Matthew. This one is titled, Don't Ask Unless You Want the Truth. <laughs> and, and there's not a whole lot to this story, right? Like we found this on a blog. Uh, it's called The War on Guns, waronguns.blogspot.com. And all, all he is, or, or she, or whoever they are, I think it's a he, um, all he's done is he's posted a link to a Twitter feed from Gun Free SA. SA stands for, it's, it's letters S and A, right? It stands for South Africa, Gun Free South Africa. Okay, it's their Twitter page. And it's quite apparent this is an anti-gun page, <laughs> right? I would guess. <laughs> their logo's got a, what looks like a bread of 92 uh, with, you know, and it's X'd out, right? It's the classic like gun-free zone logo. And so they posted a poll and I'll, I'll, I'll pull this up here on the screen. They posted a poll. Uh, the question is, if your partner had a gun, would you feel? And here are the options. 
safer, unsafe, or not sure. And out of almost 30,000 votes, 86% of people say they would feel safer if their partner, you know, so partner, spouse, wife, husband, whatever, girlfriend, boyfriend, if your partner had a gun, would you feel safer? 86% thought they would feel safer. And the comments, the replies to this Twitter post are are just hilarious because, I mean, there's po- folks posting memes. You know, this is this is great. What can an intruder do to you in the 10 to 15 minutes it takes for the police to arrive is one of the memes that somebody has posted in reply to this post. Keep in mind, this is South Africa, folks. I mean, we're so used to talking about the U- United States of A, of America, and our Second Amendment, which is amazing, but a lot of other countries don't have second amendments. And, you know, what's awesome is you see freedom, freedom loving people, even in South Africa, sharing their opinions on this saying, Hey, we want the right to guns. We want the right to self-defense. We recognize that the police are, they're, they're minutes away and lots of bad stuff can happen in those minutes. Yeah, I mean, I, and you know what, as I was looking at this, at first I, I opened it up and I was trying to figure out what, you know, where it was coming from. And you would assume that it was, you, you know, a, a poll that happened, that took place in the United States. But uh, the fact that it's South Africa, just, I mean, it just, for me, it kind of reaffirmed the, how lucky we are to have the Second Amendment, you know, how, um, how unique that is in why it's so important um, that that we we protect our our, our rights to do this because um, you know self preservation and protection is a universal universal right that isn't unique to Americans. Um, we just ha- happen to have the Second Amendment that that protects that right. So um, you know it it. it kind of struck me in a different way when I was looking at this is how lucky we are. Yeah. We, we really are lucky. We really are blessed um, in the, in the United States of America. We are blessed to have the constitution that we have, that we enjoy the second amendment. Uh, does that mean it's perfect? No. Does that mean things could be better? Yes, absolutely. They could be. Uh, but we should support our brothers and sisters across the waters uh, whether it's the UK, whether it's France, whether it's South Africa, in also achieving the same freedoms, because that's a big uphill battle for a lot of them. And I, I'd like to think, now South Africa has generally been a little bit more favorable towards guns than a lot of their other former United Kingdom, you know, uh, Great Britain kingdom uh, or, or empire. Uh, you know, you got Australia now that's basically outlawed guns to a large extent. There's, there's still, you know, exceptions, but, but, you know, handguns and semi-automatics and things like that are pretty difficult to come by. Handguns are virtually outlawed in the UK. Uh, South Africa, there's actually still some fairly favorable laws, but some of that, you know, there's been talk and chatter down there about changing that even after this Oscar Pistorius case several years ago, he was the Olympic athlete, uh, uh, a Paralympic athlete, you know, he's got, I think he runs on some, uh, uh, what's the word having a momentary, (laughs) what do we call him? 
uh, prosthetics. Uh, yes, prosthetics. Thank you. <laughs> Jeez, I don't know. I couldn't think of the word. That's my input for today. Yeah, yeah. There you go. You're done. You can sit down now. <laughs> um, you know. So, but but he had a handgun for self defense, which I think he was he was legally in possession of of having in his home. And technically, I mean, he could have even you know used that. I believe in self defense inside of his home. Um, in, you know, in, in legit cases, but the problem in that case, of course, is he used that gun to, uh, kill his, his significant other and then made it, you know, try to make it look, uh, as though he was responding to a, a, an intruder in the home, uh, that would have maybe been justified, but he mis- mistook her. Uh, basically what he did is he fired blindly, supposedly, right? This is all like supposition. He fired blindly through the walls of the bathroom, thinking that there was an intruder in there, and turns out it was his significant other. That's a problem. Regardless of what he thought or felt or what actually happened or didn't happen, if that's what he did as far as firing through the walls, thinking he had an intruder, he should still be liable because, dude, that ain't cool. Right? No. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So uh, anyway, this is cool. I, I just wanted to share this. I uh, didn't mean to spend a lot of time on it, uh, but uh, it's cool to see, you know, there's, there's a lot of freedom-loving, gun-supporting folks in South Africa. We should be supporting them too. And it's also entertaining to see a anti-gun organization uh, have their plan backfire because I'm pretty sure they felt like they would get a poll that represented their their stand, their, their viewpoint, as far as we should have greater gun control. Instead, they had a bunch of people overwhelmingly say, Hey, we would feel safer if our significant other had a gun. I'm sure they, I'm sure they took the, uh, the poll results and, and really looked at it introspectively and said, Hey, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong on my, on my beliefs in this. And they changed their, their mind. What do you think? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> I'm being sarcastic. I, I'd I'm, like to, I'd like to be optimistic <laughs> in that regard, but the, yeah, I don't know. I, I doubt it. <laughs> Good stuff. Tell us about Remington. What's going on with Remington, Matthew? Yeah. Remington again, this, I mean, I think we've talked about this a couple times over a couple of different podcast episodes. Um, Remington um, filing for bankruptcy, um, is, you know, they're claiming that the Trump slump or, you know, the, the, uh, booming gun economy during the Obama presidency has, um, has dried up since Trump uh, got elected and now no one's buying firearms or firearm related, uh, I guess, equipment. Um, and they are filing for bankruptcy, um, and, yeah, they're they're uh, they're in kind of a, a bad situation. They owe a, a bunch of money, and the the, uh, the notes Try are almost coming a billion dollars, nine hundred and fifty million with an M. Um, and those notes are coming coming due, and they can't they can't pay them. So, yeah, it's insane, man. Uh, I, when I read this article, and I I learned that Remington has a debt of nine hundred fifty million dollars. I was like, what? <laughs> How does a gun company have a have a debt load of $950 million, almost a billion dollars? I don't care who you are in the gun industry. I don't care how many guns you sell. 
that sounds like a really bad idea. I, I, I'm just having a hard time. I mean, as, as big as we like to think that the gun industry is, and it is big, it's not like some other industries like oil, where a billion dollars is like, eh, whatever. But a billion dollars in the gun industry is a big deal. These guys owe, Remington owes creditors almost a billion dollars. <laughs> That's a lot of guns they got to sell to pay yeah. that sucker back. A lot I'm of guessing guns. they're not gonna, I'm guessing they're not going to get tax taxpayer bailouts. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. Trump might be yeah. okay with that maybe. I, I wouldn't be okay with that. I hate bailouts, no, but, exactly. but 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 yeah, the optics of that would be obviously pretty challenging. Now, keep in keep in mind. I mean, Remington's the same company as part of the Cerberus Corporation or whatever, you know, this big conglomerate that owns Bushmaster and Remington. And I think uh, Marlin's part of that now. Um, I think I'm missing somebody else. There's a couple AAC, which is part of Remington as well, the, the silencer or suppressor company. Um, and, you know, there, there's this conglomerate that owns all of these manufacturers and gun, gun industry, you know, companies. And uh, they, <laughs> I mean, number one, that conglomerate, I mean, it's huge. Like that's a big, massive thing to try to manage and make everything work. And, and now you're beholden to stockholders. And when things don't go well, those stockholders might skedaddle. And what I mean, where I'm going with this is that a few years ago, we had the Sandy Hook shooting and Bushmaster was really in a hot seat with that because you had uh, the Brady group and, you know, uh, Michael Bloomberg and all these people again, you know, coming out and saying, you know, Bushmaster should be sued. They should be liable for the shooting that happened in Sandy Hook because they made this terrible instrument of mass destruction. And that just looks really bad. I don't care who you are. I mean, I'm a freedom loving second amendment supporting person, but when you've got a corporation that has stockholders and you then have this, this situation that happens with one of your products, I don't care who you are. It just doesn't look good. The general public, it, it just sounds really bad. That's going to hurt your reputation no matter who you are. It shouldn't necessarily because I know we all get it. The gun shouldn't be blamed for the crime. The person should be. But it just looks bad for these guys in the eyes of the general public. That's a problem. And, and so the problem with that is then you've got stockholders in this grand, huge you know, conglomerate of a corporation that they go, hmm, not sure I want to touch this. And so what Remington is finding, ha finding troubles doing is finding other sources of money, finding other uh, lenders, essentially, that are willing to step to the plate and, and sort of help them out and, and give them a little bit of breathing room. It sounds like they're, they're restructuring some of this debt, but they have a, you know, a big challenge here because they're beholden to public you know, stockholders. Uh, I much prefer, you know, a lot of these smaller companies. I mean, I know Springfield Armory has taken some heat because of their whole little snafu last year with, uh, uh, you know, a lot of folks think that they are anti-gun, anti-Second Amendment, anti-whatever. Um, but, uh, but, but they're still privately held. And that's a much better place to be, I think, in this industry. I mean, it's unfortunate it is the way it has to be, but being a public corporation um, in the in the environment that we, especially we, that we had under Obama, um, that's a that's a challenge. Yeah, no doubt, and and it didn't it doesn't help 
that uh, Remington hasn't been really innovative in any uh, in in their products that they've been coming out with. They haven't really kept up with yeah. the demands of what the what the public wants, you know. Um, and so, it, it, and when they have, they've been flops. Um, you know, they had that um, the RP nine one or whatever. Um, what's that? Looked like a really R, was it RJ nine one or something. Oh. Are you talking about the RP9, RP, RP45? Yeah. Their new 9mm in the 45? Right, yeah. And yeah. it looked it looked like it'd be a nice a nice uh, firearm, but it, it had all kinds of problems, reliability problems. And so once oh, you get there, a, there's the R51 too. That, the that R51, one especially, right? that's that little compact 9mm that's kind of like an LC9 Glock 43 size. And they, they, they resurrected an old design. I mean, they, they brought back this this old, old, like 1930s era uh, R51 design, which I think is kind of cool. I love to see kind of like this little retro approach to, des- to design, especially with guns. I love old guns. I think old guns are cool. And if we can take an old gun, an old design, and make it modern and make it awesome and make it reliable and, you know, whatever, like that's cool. But with the version one of the R51, they, they failed miserably. And so they've redesigned it. And it sounds like the Gen 2 R51 is far better. But even that, I mean, there's been that snafu. Now they've come out with the RP9 and RP45, which is, you know, basically Remington is starting, starting to try to get back into the handgun market, which for a long time they got out of, okay? They were, they were focused on their Remington 700s and shotguns, and those aren't bad things but they were very much a one trick pony. I and mean, it was long rifles, hunting rifles and, and basically hunting shotguns. You know I mean? That's basically like what they were known for. And then they started making for, uh, 45 1911s again. Right. And their 1911s, I've shot a couple. They're nice guns. Those Remington 1911s are nice guns. Uh, but you can't build a, a huge company that has a billion dollars in debt around a 1911 platform so then you come out with the rm380 r51 the rm380 is okay uh the r51 would have been awesome perhaps had it not failed miserably in its first attempt then you come out with an rp9 and rp45 and i think those are probably okay guns for what they are but basically remington in my opinion is about 10 to 15 years behind the curve because there's nothing that exciting with their RP9, RP45s. Nothing exciting at all. No. Uh, they're, they're, they're big semi-autos. They're blocky. They're, there's nothing innovative about them. Oh, you get an 18-round magazine in the case of 9mm. Ooh, wow. Guess what? The XDM's had that for – they've had 19 rounds for a long time now. So, I mean, like, there's just not anything really – wowing about Remington with where it comes to their handguns they've tried to come into the market. Here's another thing too. AR-15s have been a big deal for the last 10 years. And Remington took forever to get around to, you know, okay, all right, we'll start making some ARs. What did they do? They made hunting ARs. I just really feel like that they're misguided and making some some major missteps where it comes to gauging the market and what is going to make, you know, if you got a billion dollars in debt, then you really better be knocking it out of the park as far as selling stuff that works and that people actually want to buy. Right, exactly. 
And it's, I don't know, they're just, they're, they're, they haven't been innovative. Um, they're stagnant and they've been saying, you know, oh, it's the economy. It's the, it's the, you know, the, uh, the president's, you know, Trump slump or whatnot. And you, you know, we'll see in the next article that that's maybe not necessarily what it's due to. It's, it's, um, the, you know, kind of general uh, outlook for the gun industry hasn't been totally gloom, doom and gloom for everybody like it has been for Remington. Yep. Now, switching gears, you know, people have talked about this Trump slump. And, and I do feel like the Trump slump exists. Uh, we've certainly, we've seen it in our own business. We've seen it in firearm training. We've seen it in, you know, many folks that know concealed carry, uh, concealedcarry.com. We sell a lot of uh, different products on our website. Um, a, bit, a popular one is a Brave Response holster and the, and the Brave Response holster line because now there's the appendix version as well, which Matthew, you did a review on recently. Yeah, really cool. Uh, yeah, very nice review. And, uh, you know, we've seen our own product sales dip considerably in the last, you know, since Trump was, was elected. Last year was a difficult, you know, I, I would say it was a difficult year for us as a company. I mean, we, we did grow, we brought in more people, we're doing more things, but it's not, it didn't come easily, right? Many companies went out of business last year in the gun industry. And I think there'll be more to come this year even. But this next story is from the Washington Examiner and it says that gun sales stay red hot, third best January ever. And by third best January, it probably means that the, the number one, number two would have been perhaps last January and the January before that. <laughs> but um, uh, but the, even that right there, because for several years in a row, each year, year over year over year, or you know, if you looked at months compared to previous year's months, year over year over year was a better one and a better one and a better one. The, just the fact that, that this January is still one of the you know the third best ever, but it's not the best, does tell us that things have slowed down some. But here's the thing I find interesting, Matthew. It's like, why is Remington struggling so bad? And why are these other manufacturers struggling, struggling so bad if background check uh, reports from the ATF and elsewhere are still say, suggesting that gun sales are still very, very, very strong, which they are? What's the problem? I think the reason that gun sales are still doing very well is what do you see when you go to your gun store right now, Matthew, as far as prices of those guns are concerned? Yeah, there, there are sales, crazy sales that you would never dreamed of seeing a few years ago. Yep. I mean, you look at where where we've come from in just the last few years uh, on the prices of AR 15s. Okay. It wasn't that many years ago that a, that a good quality AR, you could expect to spend $900 to $1,200 for, you know, just a run of the, you know, regular run of the mill quality AR-15, $900 to $1,200, right? We are seeing good quality ones out there for sub $700. We are seeing your base model ARs out there for like $500. That's crazy. It's insane. <laughs> that is crazy. <laughs> I and mean, it's a good insane, but <laughs> there's all kinds of uh, deals and incentives going on. You see th- new things from different companies every week. Uh, even if it's something as simple as now, most companies are trying not to, you know, d- depress their or, or lower their prices on their guns 
because they know in the long run that hurts them, right? So they're, they're doing a lot of these other programs as far as they're giving away four or five magazines, you know, for free, or they're giving away a holster or they're giving away other accessories together with the purchase of a gun. We do see gun prices coming down, but then we also see gun companies offering a lot more incentives uh, when someone buys a gun from them. And so regardless of which way you slice and dice it, that, that hurts the bottom line. So, we do see companies like Remington and others still struggling, even though we're saying, and that's why I featured this story immediately following the Remington one, because you know, on one hand, we're saying, here's a company, a major company that's been around a long time that is struggling in a big way, yet we still see pretty strong sales. Now, Curtis piped in here on Facebook and said, Republican presidents sell less guns than Democrats. Yeah, we know that. That's, that's been a trend for like ever. We, we expected that. I don't know if anybody expected the, the downturn to be quite as severe as it was this year, um, but it but it definitely has 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 hurt. Um, but uh, we so anyway, we see these two stories: Remington struggling, filing bankruptcy, uh, gun sales are still doing really well, but that's coming at a price, and that price, quite literally, price is that they're not making as much money as they once were. And then, so that's, that's, that's a challenge. And Patrick says, just got a deal on a 308 Mossberg rifle with a scope. Yeah. I mean, those are a dime a dozen right now. You can go to any gun store and your standard base price hunting rifles and things like that. Oh man, this is a great time to buy guns. And I think it's probably going to still remain so for, for a while to come. Ammunition too. Ammunition has been coming down. I just saw today you can get, um, a thousand rounds. Now, granted, it's not the greatest quality stuff, right? Steel case Tula ammo, a thousand rounds for $149, nine millimeter. That's, wow. that's crazy, right? Um, so anyway, let's uh, jump now to, we've got a story from the Daily Wire. I'm going to hand this one off to you. Yeah. So let me pull this one up. Um, this one I thought was really interesting. This, um, everybody's probably familiar with the hashtag me too movement, um, for, you know, um, it's been used for, um, women who have been victims of sexual assault or sexual abuse. Um, and there is one rape survivor who kind of, um, put in here that, she believes that part of the Me Too movement should be advocating for gun rights. And it's kind of a difficult, it kind of reminded me of, um, you know, it's putting the Me Too movement in a kind of particular, uh, precarious spot because um, I believe that probably most of them don't believe that, you know, don't, aren't gun advocates. But when you frame it in the, in the, the sense that, you know, um, a lot of women, especially this woman who is a rape survivor, um, you know, she had her concealed carry uh, license, but she was on campus. And because of the campus um, law, she was not able to have her firearm with her. And it was locked away. So she believes, you know, part of this Me Too movement shouldn't just be, hey, um, let's, let's address, you know, um, sexual misconduct and things like that, but let's empower women to say, if you are the victim of a sexual assault that you should have training and you should be able to carry your firearm in in that. And so um, I thought it was really a really interesting 
um, look at that whole Me Too movement. Yeah, that's a great point, right? You know, I mean, this is the paradigm shift that's needed right now in this whole Me Too movement because everything is about being the victim, right? Me too. I was also, I am also a victim. I was also victimized. And it's about suppressing, you know, one part of, of our culture and society because in, in raising up these victims, which by the way, it's not right that they're, that they were victimized, that they were raped or sexually assaulted or whatever. Like that is wrong. Hands down all day long. Right. There is no doubt that anything that's happened to any woman or any person that was against their will that uh, sexually assaulted them or did something, you know, in that way, in, in any, in any way that is wrong. <laughs> but the paradigm shift that I see here from, from this Savannah Lindquist, this, uh, dare I call her an activist now? Cause I, I mean, this is fantastic hearing from her. The paradigm shift is that I am, I was a victim. I was raped during my first year of school, but that would not have happened had I been able to defend myself, had I been able to have my gun with me on campus that day, that would not have happened. And that is the key thing to realize here, right? That's the key thing. The, the big takeaway from this story is not about, not so much about the, whether the, the gun control or gun rights issue. It's not so much about the sexual assault and the Me Too movement. What it's about is that this would not have happened had it been a college campus in Utah or Colorado or Wyoming or wherever else now that we've got campus carry, which there's, there's a few, you know, a few more States getting on that bandwagon, but this would not have happened to Savannah Lindquist had it been on a college campus in Utah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, you see the difference of the mindset and you talked about the paradigm shift. It's like, you see this woman as yes, she is a victim. But if you if you look at it, if you look at the story, she's not saying she's a victim. She's saying she's a survivor, which is I think a different mindset. She's yep. looking at it as yes, I was a survivor of or sexual assault or rape, and I think that an important part of that is the the ability to carry my firearm and and defend myself rather than the idea that you are a victim and a helpless victim at that. And you have to, um, you know, somehow um, you, you are damaged. You, you can never recover from this. And, and, and so I think it's, it's a, you use a, a good term paradigm shift. It's, it's the way you look at the situation and the fact that she had a firearm, she had training, um, she had a concealed handgun license, but couldn't have it with her. And this happened, um, you know, you know, you, you look at, um, uh, Tony Okafor who's going around and, and campaigning or, or advocating for, um, campus carry laws and things like that in, in the backlash she's gotten. And, and um, it's just, it's stories like these are very important to, to show the difference in mentality and, and the outlook of people who take the responsibility to, defend themselves and, and, um, how they are 
um, so, so much stronger in, in their ability to, to overcome these types of things um, when bad things happen to them. I, I, I it's just, uh, I love this story. When I saw it, I was like, oh, we got to get it on the, on the um, news episode because I, I thought it was outstanding. Yeah, it really is. And we support Savannah Lindquist, Antonio Okafer, and others that are really pushing nationwide, across the nation, to make college campus uh, carry a thing. Uh, I, I, I love the work that these women are doing to get this out there. Telling these stories is where it's, where it's at. This, this is where the rubber meets the road, because you cannot argue with these women. You cannot argue with Savannah. You know, she was raped and she would tell you that, hey, I normally would have my gun with me, but I couldn't that day because it had to be locked up back in my, in my dorm room or wherever, right? That, I, I want to shout that story from the rooftops forever and ever because that's the big takeaway, you know, that some bureaucrats and university administrators tell you what you cannot do as far as your own personal responsibility to defend yourself, American defense training viewing on Facebook comments, having the ability to defend yourself and not be a victim is what concealed carry is about. Yes. All day long. Right. Uh, Rob comments, women and everyone should have the ability to defend themselves. No one is invincible and criminals will always prey on the innocent in college campuses, especially in places where concealed carry is not permitted or other means of defense. Uh, because there are college campuses, too, that have weapons policies that would even go so far as to restrict uh, what I consider as basic self-defense tools, tasers, yes. pepper spray, yep. or even a knife, right? And so they want to neuter us to the same point as what we see in the UK, where a year plus ago, we had on the podcast a story out of the UK, where the the police came out, they, they had to basically make a public service announcement to make it clear, to clarify that the only acceptable means of defense in the UK was a rape alarm. Wow. Yeah, that's sad. Patrick chimes in and says, yeah, Texas, this wouldn't have happened. Yeah, Texas is another, uh, as of the last year or so, uh, c- uh, campus carry state. Uh, I think Kansas is another one. Um, uh, I think Ohio was moving that direction too, weren't they? Yeah, well, we were moving that direction, but then they uh, neutered the bill and actually just allowed the schools to opt in if they want to, which yeah. obviously um, none of them have, um, but the original bill was supposed to allow it, um, which, you know, like everything else, they kind of neutered it down to get it passed. So hopefully yeah. they'll, they'll re- uh, readdress that. Yep. Well, that was, you know, every step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. We just got to keep it, you know, moving forward. Right. Absolutely. So, which is exactly why, I mean, here's another story coming up here in a minute. Uh, I'll highlight this one before we get to it. We have another one. Uh, But uh, the story coming up in a moment is about the concealed carry reciprocity bill. I know I've got people. In fact, I was just recently on Kyle Lamb's uh, podcast, the VTAC podcast. You'll want to check it out. I'm not sure when it's, it's not live yet. Just so you know, Jacob and I both were interviewed by Kyle Lamb for his podcast. A a great honor for sure. Uh, He asked us about HR 38, that the National Concealed Carry Reciprocity uh, Act or bill. And uh, I probably say some things in there that, that some people would, 
would think are controversial or they would look at it and say, Riley, you're not, you know, in full support. You're not a true constitutionalist or whatever. Right. Because basically what I say is that number one, I think they, it's, they've got a big battle to, to win, to even get that thing passed. Uh, number two, I see some problems with the bill. I see some problems without the bill. Um, and some would probably say, Hey, if we can't get constitutional carry nationwide, you know, if we can't get constitutional carry, then I'm, I'm not voting for anything. I'm not doing anything. You know, this, this concealed carry reciprocity bill is flawed. It's got problems. Uh, what if they instate a uh, national training standard, some arbitrary federal training standards so you can have a permit? What if they do that? Well, uh, that bill, number one, doesn't say anything about that. That's not to say that it couldn't be added when it goes through the Senate, if it ever does go through the Senate. But a step in the right direction is a step in the right direction. It could turn to a step in the wrong direction. But as of right now, I'm in support of that bill because it's better than the alternative, I think. Now, ultimately, I would love to have constitutional carry nationwide. That's a long time away from happening. And you, I don't think you make that jump in one big, you know, in one step. That's little, that's a bunch of little baby steps along the way. So any win that you can get there in Ohio or wherever you guys are, take the win and then keep fighting, right? Okay, so next story is actually from the Review journey, Journal, the Las Vegas Review Journal, that is, uh, reviewjournal.com. And it's an update and a follow-up to the Mandalay Bay shooting uh, that uh, obviously is very famous now. Um, the, the, the update to the story is that a Mr. Uh, Douglas Haig uh, was... Um, at least arrested, it sounds like, because it does say in this article that he was released from custody. And they brought him in for questioning. He was they, they looked at him as a person of interest. And the reason why is because they found an Amazon box in the hotel room that Stephen Paddock operated from as far as committing the, the shooting act. They found a box uh, labeled with Amazon and, ha- and it had Mr. Douglas Haig's address on it. And, the, and the, you might wonder, how did that box get into that hotel room? Well, it got into that hotel room because Stephen Paddock outside, you know, in, a, in some private transaction, met up with Douglas Haig and bought from Douglas Haig a bunch of, it says, it, it seems that it was 308 ammunition. Now, to my knowledge, as of right now, uh, there's not still not a ton of details out there about the uh, Mandalay Bay shooting. But to my knowledge, everything that was fired was 5.56 caliber, or excuse me, millimeter or whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so, um, 5.56 or 2.23, right? And so, that, that's what was fired from, uh, from the hotel room. But, this, but Stephen Paddock met up with Douglas Haig, bought apparently 720 rounds of ammunition, apparently 308. And Mr. Haig, to package that up for, for Stephen Paddock, he put it in a box that he had and it was an Amazon box with his return or with his address on it. So that's how the feds within hours after the shooting were able to connect with Douglas Haig, uh, question him, eventually bring him in. And they are looking at uh, charging him with manufacturing and selling armor piercing ammunition without a license. So he could find himself, you know, in, in trouble there. Uh, but it doesn't appear that he was, 
doing something to facilitate this attack. He had no knowledge, no advanced knowledge of the, of the shooting that was about to take place. This, the ammo was purchased in August or September. Uh, so just a month or so later was when Stephen Paddock actually committed the act. But I don't believe, you know, it, it seems apparent to me as I read this story too, that this guy didn't really have any knowledge of that. He felt like Stephen Paddock was just a normal dude. He was very polite. He was professional, clean looking, whatever. He just wanted to buy some ammo and there's nothing wrong or illegal about selling ammunition. So other than I don't do that, I don't sell ammo. Every bit of ammo I have, I hang on to. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's your take on this, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, obviously, dude didn't have the proper licensing to either produce it or sell it. Um, and, you know, I guess um, probably want to take your um, return labels off boxes that you give to people. So your name isn't on it. Uh, but, you know, outside of that, I guess, you know, when the, when the feds got to his house, they went out and saw that, yeah, he did have a, an area in, in his, on his property that he was using to uh, manufacture ammunition. So, um, you know, for those people that reload or, you know, um, uh, reload their own man, uh, ammunition and things like that, just always know that, you never know what what kind of a little thing is going to link you to something else. And if you're doing something that's kind of shady that, you know, you probably, you, you never know how it's going to lead back to you. So uh, as law-abiding citizens and concealed cares and everything, we got to always make sure that we're we're up to date on what we can do and what we can't do. Yep. Now, if there's a lesson to be learned from this, I as far as as, as I see it, that would be, be careful who you sell things to. Now, you can only do so much, right? I mean, this guy felt like he was probably doing the right thing. He, he felt like he was dealing with a normal, nice guy. Didn't anticipate he was going to shoot up, you know, the, the, this big concert. You know, I mean, yeah. So be careful who you're selling to. <laughs> um, I've really kind of cut back. Now, part of that's because of where I live in Colorado. We have universal background checks, which is really, you know, if you're, if you are, if your intent is to be a law abiding citizen, although I could very easily break that law and probably nobody would find out. I'm not saying I would, I don't, I haven't, I don't care to. Um, but, uh, it wouldn't be that hard to, to break that law. It's, it's basically an unenforceable law in, in large uh, respect, but, uh, but it has put a little bit of a damper because there was a time where I did do a little bit of, you know, well, I'd like to buy this other gun from this guy, um, but I'm a little short on cash. So maybe I'll sell this other thing. Right. So I've done that. Uh, it's been a few years, uh, but I've kind of got to the point now where I'm like, you know, I'm just going to hang on to what I have. I've sold a gun to Jacob. Uh, you know, uh -oh. he, I, I had something he wanted. He just told me this morning, he said, Hey man, you, uh, I want to buy that. Uh, I, I, I didn't realize at the time he was asking me if I'd sell my LC9S. Uh, I thought he said LC9S and I heard LC9. So I have an LC9S and an LC9. I bought the LC9. I think it's a decent little carry gun. Um, some people have, you know, I, I see reports about reliability issues with the LC9, LC9S's. Mine's been, both my guns have been rock solid. I've had no reliability issues with either of my Ruger LC9 guns. Um, but I thought he was 
you know, asking, Hey, can I buy your LC nine? And I'm like, yeah, 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 yeah. But actually he wanted the LC nine S like, no, it's not for sale. <laughs> <laughs> I like the LC nine S it's got a lot better trigger than the uh, LC nine, which is a DAO gun. But anyway, so be careful who you're selling to, right? Vet them as best you can. Um, and, uh, be aware, at least have this in the back of your mind that if somebody does something crazy, you could, regardless of if you broke any laws or not, it could raise enough suspicion that police are knocking on your door and they're asking hard questions. And in the course of that, by the way, this dude's home has been searched. He's been brought to court. A court order has been issued for him to remove all of this ammunition and even some guns that he has from his home while this case is pending. Yeah. So even if you don't necessarily break any laws, depending on what is apparent or not apparent to a district attorney or to a judge, you could still have some issues that need to be cleared up. And in the process, some of your Second Amendment rights are infringed upon. So yeah, be careful about the interactions and the transactions that you do. Next story. This is, uh, boy, this is, you know, this got a lot of attention. in the last couple of days, uh, CBS had um, on their 60 Minutes show that, you know, everyone I'm sure is familiar with, right? I mean, I, I, I've watched, I've watched, I haven't watched it in years until this uh, last sat- Sunday. Actually, I didn't even watch it on Sunday. I watched the replay. But, uh, um, but growing up, I'm, you know, I, I watched 60 Minutes all the time. Um, they did this story on the, it's called the showdown over the concealed carry reciprocity act. And while I think they were trying to be fair and even killed with this story, uh, with this report, and they had on there, by the way, they had Tim Schmidt with the USCCA. They had uh, Congressman uh, Hudson, who is the sponsor of the, of this HR 38. Uh, they had the DA and police chief from New York City on. Uh, those guys said a bunch of bizarre, crazy stuff. Uh, <laughs> you know, what did, did you see the program, Matthew? I did. Um, and, you know, you said they, they tried to, to present it in an even way, but their, their biases, um, they just couldn't hide the fact that it's an extremely biased um, you know, uh, show or episode that they did within a, within a minute, I think of, of the show, they're already making the claim that more guns equal more crime. So that, that within a minute in, you know, okay, this is where this is going. Yep. Um, and, and I don't want to ruin it for people who haven't watched it, but I'll say, I'll save you the, the agony of watching this and, and sum it up in a, in a couple notes. Um, I, you know, they brought on the uh, police chief and um, the, was it the mayor um, of New York and talked about how they think that this would be bad. They, and then Chris Wallace goes in or Mike Wallace, what, what, what's his, what's the guy's name? It's uh, Steve Croft. Or Steve, Steve Croft. Okay. Reporter. Right. Steve Croft. Okay. So he, he goes through this list and, and when he's talking to Tim Schmidt and says, you know, these are all the, uh, these are all the, the sheriffs and police chiefs that are against this, think this is a bad idea. And he names off five or six says I can go on and on, but he doesn't talk about any of the, the sheriffs or police chiefs that are 
pro this, that, that, that are for this. He only presents it in that way. Um, then he talks about, um, he, he brings out Tim Schmidt to the middle of New York City so he can get an idea of what it's like. You know, um, hey, do you, you know, do you feel uncomfortable here not having your firearm with you? Um, but he doesn't, he doesn't take any of the, um, he doesn't go out to a rural area where it takes 45 minutes for a deputy to arrive. He doesn't go out and, and take the viewers to a concealed carry class and show all the training that these people go through and the background checks and who these people are. They constantly conflate the idea of, or they constantly keep saying, well, this law would allow anybody anywhere to carry a gun in any state. Anybody who yeah. could carry a gun anywhere. They don't say law-abiding citizens who have passed background checks, who have passed training, would be allowed to cross state lines with their firearm. They don't say that. They say anybody. So, you know, they're they're conflating these the the law-abiding legal citizen or law-abiding citizens who practicing a, a, a constitutionally protected right, and um, and they're conflating that with criminals. And over and over through the throughout the whole show, that's that's where you go with this. And they they paint the NRA um, as you know this shady organization that wouldn't appear on on the they wouldn't give them an interview. And you know why why aren't they allowing an interview? Well, they must be hiding something. They must be scared to to take these tough you know these tough questions from uh, Steve Croft and. Um, and it's just, it was ridiculous. I watched the entire thing, even the bonus feature at the end. And, uh, and you know, it, it was completely a one-sided, um, slanted show that kind of made it seem like if, if, you, if this goes through, then life as you know it will be changed forever. And people will just basically be shooting all over the place hordes and hordes of people are going to be running around with guns and, you know, and it's just, it was, it was ridiculous. Yep. You know, I mentioned that they had on uh, Manhattan district attorney Cyrus Vance and New York city police commissioner, James O'Neill. And now, now what th- those two guys say is that New York city uh, is, has the lowest crime rate out of all of the like major U S cities. Now that's actually true. So that's a true fact right there. Now, in their mind, they would say that's because they have such strict gun laws. And like, like that, that's it. Like they, the New York instituted very strict gun laws and magically the crime rate went, right? Um, I also think it has a lot to do with the fact that they spend a lot of money as a city on their, police, on their policing, um, which kudos to them because most cities don't spend... Uh, per capita, what New York City spends. And when you, I mean, and New York has some things going for it too that makes it a lot easier, I think, to police. When you have, what, 80,000 cops or however many they have, which it's a bunch, and you have a city that's actually quite compressed, you know, as far as area, uh, for the amount of people that are there, and you can put a cop on almost every corner, that's, that's one thing. But when you have a lot of other cities that aren't, you know, L.A. and Chicago, by the way, are not that hard, and Chicago especially, not that hard to beat. By, by the way, L.A. is not even that bad compared to places like uh, uh, St. Louis. Um, Houston has a higher crime, right, crime, crime rate. Um, but you look at Houston, whew, 
whew, huge population and it's spread out quite a bit more compared to some of these other um, megatropolis megatropolises. But anyway, that's beside the point. Something these two guys say that I think just boggles my mind, a couple of things. Uh, in their mind, they say, you bring all these people into New York City from various places across the U.S., you know, coming into NYC. They say they have 50 million visitors from all across the country to their city. Uh, that, that's probably true. And then Cyrus Vance says, you bring that kind of volume of firepower, even with well-intentioned people, it's going to be extremely dangerous. Steve Croft adds, so more guns, more violence. That's what you're saying. And James O'Neill answers, absolutely. Here's a question I have for them. Does Cyrus Vance, District Attorney Cyrus Vance and Police Commissioner James O'Neill, do they have guns and do they have people protecting them? I would bet they do. <laughs> and does that somehow make things more dangerous for them? Right? Like, this is what frustrates me so bad about this, this type of viewpoint is they are basically saying, we can have guns. We are, we, we can have guns because of who we are and we, we need to be protected, but that everybody else below them does not, is not afforded that same opportunity. And they also ignore the fact that we're not talking about everybody bringing guns in NYC. We're talking about responsible, law-abiding citizens and why are we worried about those folks? They should be concerned with those that are actually committing and, and you know, crimes and breaking the law. Um, you know, they, they, they shared in this report, too, the uh, police chief in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I can't remember his name off the top of my head, but he, he in, a, in some sort of forum, said, since the concealed carry law was changed in Wisconsin, our crime has gone up. We actually covered that on the podcast months ago, and we showed how that was a bunch of bogus. He was, he was telling fake news, that police chief was. The other thing that these guys would have you believe is they say most of the police chiefs across America are against this legislation. That may be true, true, but what they are trying to imply or what they're trying to make you believe is that most police are against this law, and that is not true. Exactly. What I don't see happening here is they talk to one police chief, the police chief of the most liberal city on the planet, at least as far as I'm concerned. It's probably not the most liberal on the planet. But anyway, they talk to one police chief who tells you all the other police chiefs are against this law. They don't go and talk to a single regular beat cop like you were once one, Matthew. Mm-hmm. You don't talk to any of those guys on the street that actually that actually solve the crimes that actually fight against crime that actually police their communities and interact with citizens in their communities. They don't talk to a single one of those. And this is to your point, uh, Rob, I, I think it was Rob. No, well, Rob, American defense training. There was no investigative journalism. He says, co- uh, commenting on Facebook. That's exactly right. And that's what I, my, what, my, what my point here is. They only talk to these elites who say that they are allowed to have guns, but none of the rest of us are. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And and I'll tell you there in, in Ohio, just I'll I'll just talk about Ohio. Um there's there's uh five hundred thousand concealed carriers in, in Ohio. So, you know, in any any law enforcement officer out here in Ohio is gonna tell you, and, and it was the same for me, I've never been afraid of walking up on a car with a person who's a licensed concealed carrier. 
you know, you come into these contact with these people, that's not the people that you're worried about. And they're not the, they're not the people that, um, that are, that that the police are even concerned about. So it's, it's the police chiefs that have this political pressure um, from their mayors and things like that, that because they're elected positions. And, uh, and so those are the people that are the mouthpiece for the mayor and and are going to walk and step in, in the, like you said, the regular patrol cops, they understand that, they want people to be the first line of defense for themselves. They want responsible, you know, um, people. And, and so like to your point, it's just, it's bogus when, when they kind of present it in this way. And, and I don't know if, you know, they did it that way on purpose. I, I, I honestly think that they are so invested in a certain mindset that they only find things that, that, affirm their belief and that's where they go. And I don't think they, you know, edited things out to make it seem that way, you know, to make it seem like more guns equal more crime. I think they truly believe that and that's how they present it. And they think they're coming across as center of the road, but they're not. Um, It's just sad, sad journalism. Yeah. They interviewed, uh, like I mentioned, representative uh, Hudson, who is the sponsor of this HR 38 uh, wrote the bill, uh, and it's a pretty decent bill considering you know what we have to work with. And uh, I, I thought he missed some pretty big opportunities. Tim Schmidt's responses to his, to the questions he was given were spot on. They were he nailed it with his responses. I think the way he responded, I'll bet I'll bet you Steve Croft was sitting there going, uh, I don't even know how to follow that up. You know, like like I mean he was spot on. Representative Hudson. I think, you know, I appreciate what you're doing, brother, but I think you got to go educate yourself a little bit more because you missed a lot of opportunities to hit back with these terrible questions that were asked of you. Here's an example. Steve Croft asks him, Representative Hudson, there's huge opposition to this bill. (laughs) That's fake news in and of itself. (laughs) Among police departments, I just covered this, in major cities in the United States. Listen, every single one of these cities he lists are like, This is no surprise. Houston, well, Tucson, maybe a little. Metropolitan DC, Boston, New York City, Baltimore, Seattle. These are all cities where the chief of police has come out against this law. I can. There are more if you want me to read more. And Representative Hudson says, sure. Well, look, Steve Croft asks him, now, how do you explain that? I just told you how to explain that. Go and talk to the actual police officers on the streets and see what their feelings and viewpoints are on this legislation. Now, in some of the more, you know, excuse me, liberal or, uh, you know, anti-gun leaning police departments in the U.S., you will find a a greater saturation of cops that are not quite as pro two-way that you will find in more rural areas. But on the, on, but I'll bet you, Matthew, tell me if I'm wrong. I'll bet you 85 to 90% of police officers in the United States of America are pro two-way. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know if you could, pro- if, you know, we can quantify that or, or like, you know, back that up with statistics, but I'm, I'm totally, know, yeah, I'm totally pulling that out of my butt, but yeah, but you, you does that sound reasonable? Yeah. You're in the law enforcement community. Um, yep. and I, I was a patrol patrol cop in California of all places. And, you know, the majority of people believe that, you know, uh, or more majority of cops and those in law enforcement understand that, you know, we're looking at criminals. We're not concerned about, you know, law-abiding citizens. And and as long as they're being responsible, 
you know, then yeah, you're going to have like the earlier story, the guy that shoots at a car tires and things like that. Um, but they're very small minority of the, the, you know, legal gun owners you have, I mean, you have cops that do to make bad decisions, you know? And so you don't disarm all the police. The thing is, is, you know, you're, you're, when you have a population um, of gun owners, you know, say there's a million of them, well, you're going to have some that are either, you know, do something bad that don't, aren't as responsible. Um, But the vast majority are good law abiding citizens that do good with their firearms. They, they stop, um, they stop robberies, they stop um, assaults and things like that. And, and to disarm these people is just crazy over, over what, over the, the minute amount that do something, you know, irresponsible. It it doesn't make sense. Now tell me who, who are you going to believe the police chiefs, which by the way, you, you touched on this. It is not difficult to find police chiefs that are anti-gun because like you said, in most major cities in in the U S police chiefs that are, excuse me, mayors that are elected. I mean, most big cities lean a little bit more to the left and sometimes a lot to the left, meaning anti-gun and mayors are going to appoint and hire police chiefs that either agree with their viewpoint or that are willing to toe the line. Absolutely. It's a political position. You go, just like Rad here suggesting in in, in the comments, you know, go out and talk to the guys working the streets. Who are you going to believe? The guys that are losing their brothers and sisters that are getting shot right now every week in this country? Or are you going to believe this political puppet? As Rad also said, he referred to them as puppets. Who who are you going to believe? And when when you see police generally in favor of improving Second Amendment rights for law-abiding citizens when they're the ones that are losing their brothers and sisters on the streets. Yeah, I think that's pretty telling. We need to move on, uh, although I will add that you should watch that bonus feature with the 60 Minutes report. Um, there's some additional content in there. Uh, the interview with uh, uh, Tim Schmidt, there's a little bit more content in that. And it, they call it 60 Minutes Overtime. Uh, if you view the video and the link to this story, cbsnews.com story, if you view the, 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 the first video and then there's a follow-up video that comes immediately after that, that's this uh, overtime segment uh, with Steve Croft. And then, like I said, there's more with uh, Tim Schmidt in there. And Steve Croft takes him to downtown you know, Manhattan, basically, on the street and is asking him questions. And one thing that popped out in there is, you know, Steve actually says, I don't think Tim was carrying because that would be illegal. And I don't think Tim would do that. But as Tim is sitting there, standing there talking with him, he says, Steve, like, look around you. I, I bet you somebody here somewhere in this area, you know, close to us has got a gun, is carrying a gun for self-defense. And you don't know it. And nothing bad is happening to you. Like nothing would really change with increasing concealed carry across America with this bill Uh, because most people are decent, law-abiding, responsible people. Anyway, let's get now to, we got to get to our justified stories. We've been going at this, but this is a big deal. And folks participating on, on online, we appreciate your comments. You guys are, you're, you're all with us right there too. I know a lot of this is preaching to the choir as well. Uh, but, uh, this is a big deal and, uh, we're, we're shaping up for a big battle, uh, 
in this country, it already is a battle. I mean, it's, it's one that's proving to be difficult to win. You've got uh, uh, Mitch McConnell in the Senate, Senate Majority Leader that is sitting on this legislation, is not taking any action, even with all kinds of pressure from the White House and from the House saying, come on, let's take some action. Let's move this forward. I still think it's a long shot to get it through. And maybe that's why McConnell's not taking any action. They're feeling like, does, what, what's the point? Well, you know, we're wasting our time. I, I, I hate to think that we're wasting the, our time. Contact your representatives, contact your senators, especially your senators right now, because this has already gone through the House. So contact those senators and tell them to support this bill and let's see some action on it. Okay. And uh, oh, also, I promised uh, someone, Curtis, that I would uh, touch on this training thing because someone commented that training would be, would not be a bad thing. And I think referring to I, I commented earlier about, you know, well, I, I would hate to see some sort of arbitrary federal standard as part of a concealed carry you know, national bill. Um, you can go back, by the way, and I think it was episode 50, the podcast and listen to that. I think we make some really good points in episode 50 as you know, it, it basically we make the point that our, our stance here at concealedcarry.com is that training is always a good thing. We love training. That's what we're passionate about. That's what we spend a lot of our time doing. Uh, we are instructors here. Training is always a good thing. However, I don't feel like the government should be telling you what and how to train, especially even in the case of requiring or, you know, as part of that training being a requirement to obtain a concealed carry permit. Uh, Because those standards are always arbitrary. Half the time they don't make sense. Um, and, And I just don't think we want the government involved in that. Now, it doesn't mean that I don't think we should train. I absolutely think we should train. I think people should make the choice to train. And I think they should. And I don't think enough people make that choice because most people, here's the other problem with a federally mandated standard is that most people take whatever the government tells them to do and they go, oh, if that's all the government thinks I need to get this permit, then the government considers that I'm good and I'm ready. I'm good to go. And they, they immediately shut off their brain to thinking they need any additional training. Right? I met the minimum standard. I'm good to go. I don't need anything else. So that's another danger, right? So we should always, I think, be self-driven in our desire to obtain training and to be well-trained. Now get out there and do it. <laughs> All right. So next, uh, our first justified story from bnd.com. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Some news site. Be- uh, Belleville News Democrat, I guess is what it stands for. bnd.com uh, in uh, Let's see, Collinsville, and this is what, North Carolina? No. This is, is uh, That's a, a, another story we have coming up here in just a minute is the North Carolina one. I have no idea where the <laughs> Collinsville is. Someone help me out. My, uh, okay, so this could be Missouri or it could be, uh, yeah, so it's probably Missouri. St. Louis area hospital, it says that someone had to, get, had to get taken to. This story is a tragic story. 62-year-old man fatally shoots bat-wielding son. In Collinsville, police say. A 62-year-old Collinsville man fatally shot his 32-year-old son during a confrontation Friday night, according to police. Collinsville Police Chief Steve Evans said police received a 911 call at about 11 p.m. from a residence. The, The caller, the father, said he had just shot his son. I mean, how tragic is that? Police arrived and performed first aid on the son until an ambulance crew arrived. The son was taken to a St. Louis area hospital where he died early Saturday morning. Investigators have been told the 32-year-old man was threatening his 62-year-old father with a baseball bat 
and was warned several times to back away before he was shot. The father has been cooperative throughout the investigation. The investigation is continuing and no charges have been filed at this time. I can't even begin to imagine what it would feel like to be in this father's position. Yeah. It's tragic all the way around. It, it truly is. I mean, and these sorts of things do happen from time to time. The sad reality is it doesn't really matter so much who the person is that's a threat to your life. If you have a threat to your life, uh, either you're going to die or you stop that threat. And in the case where it's very unfortunate and that threat to you happens to be a family member, that's that's tough. That's tough. I'm reminded of um, locally here in the Colorado area, there's a, a cop that I know of that while he was in the academy, had to shoot his own father. Wow. Um, there had been a little bit of drinking involved. Um, the son lived next door to his father. And uh, basically, there had been a little bit of an argument. The son actually left his father. It was at his father's house. Okay, He left his father's house, went home. The father came over and started threatening the son through the door and tried to break his way through the door into the home of his son. The father had a weapon. I believe he had a gun with him. The, the father, as he began to gain access to the home by breaking through the front door, the son was forced to shoot his own father in front of his family. That is, I mean, I just can't even imagine. Um, but it's, like I said, it's either them or it's you. Uh, and it doesn't matter who's involved as far as whether it's justified or not. This case was, you know, roles were reversed a little bit, father shooting the son. Um, I, I hate to see it come to that. I would say do everything in your power to avoid that, right? Uh, I, I think that's probably what happened here. We don't have a lot of details, but I, there's even still a part of me, Matthew, that's like, I, I, I would almost be willing to, to sacrifice myself for my child, right? Yeah. Even when they're in the wrong. Um, to be honest with you, this is a scenario I have not really spent a lot of time processing or thinking about because my son is still 11, <laughs> and we have a great relationship. I don't anticipate ever having this kind of problem. Uh, but uh, that's definitely a scenario that is hard for me to wrap my head around. But it's, you know, when we talk about mental preparation, mental rehearsals, maybe this is one that you play out in your mind. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I, w I would be willing to bet that um, either substance abuse, mental health issues played a big role in this um, somewhere along the line. So, um, you know, and it's, it's always the hardest thing, you know, I, I remember as a police officer going, the hardest thing is, you know, when you go to these, um, domestic, not just husband and wife, but domestic, I'm talking about where you go and, and, and it's the, the mother who has a restraining order against the son because he's addicted to, you know, methamphetamines and keeps coming over and stealing things and beating her up and robbing her and stuff like that. And, um, and, and they show up and, you know, um, they call and say, Hey, my, my son's here. I have a restraining order. He's choking me and things like that. And you get there and it's like the, the parents at the beginning, you know, they, they're always, okay, well, I don't want him to go to jail. Just, just get him out of here, you know? And, um, and then after a while, it becomes a point where, they, they almost, they're always their, their, their offspring, but they, they realize that this person is no longer 
you know, the, the, their son or their daughter that they, they raised that they've been completely taken over by, you know, the, the drugs or, or what it is. And, um, I would imagine something like this happen. I mean, um, I don't know, like you said, there's not a lot of, a lot of facts, but, um, yeah, it's just a terrible, terrible thing to have to be faced with. Um, and, and you know, it's just when you, if you think about that and put yourself in that, in that man's shoes, uh, not, you know, not, not a place anybody ever wants to be. Yep. I'm with you there, brother. So I am going now to a story, uh, Blakely woman, it says shoots and kills home intruder. Uh, this happened Saturday around 1130 PM. It says the early County Sheriff's office, uh, received a 911 call from a homeowner reporting an intruder in her house on Woodlawn drive in Blakely. A struggle ensued and the woman ended up shooting the intruder. There's some interesting details here in this story, by the way. At the time she called 911, she had locked her daughter in a bedroom to be able to call 911. She wasn't sure where the intruder was at that time after shooting him, said Captain Will Caudill, early county sheriff's office. The woman had noticed something unusual in her daughter's bedroom concerning a window. When she went to investigate that is when she reports Lindsay came out. This is the man that she ended up shooting and assaulted her and her daughter. Deputies responded to the scene and made contact with the victims. They then began searching the exterior of the residence. They found a male subject lying in the backyard, unresponsive and suffering from an apparent, from apparent gunshot wounds. The man was transported to a local hospital where he was pronounced uh, dead, I believe, because the story does tell us that he was, that she shot and killed him. He's been identified as 53-year-old Michael Lindsay. This is where sometimes we see some of these stories. Just good friend. I think she. I don't know if she's still watching Jackie. Uh, <laughs> she. She's a journalist. Uh, I saw she had popped popped in here for a minute uh, on Facebook. But uh, I mean, uh, we don't find out till we get to the bottom of the story that it's 53-year-old Michael Lindsay. But yet up at the top we read the name Lindsay. It's like, where did that name come from? Right? Just terrible writing here. Uh, anyway, this, this dude was listed on the Georgia Bureau of Investigation sex offender registry for molesting a child almost 20 years ago. Um, that's a long time ago, but clearly this dude had some issues. So why do I share this story? Here's the big takeaway that I, that I saw in this story, Matthew, is that she she obviously hears some sort of disturbance. It's at the window of her daughter's bedroom, right? She she shoots the guy. He obviously I don't know whether he was through the window or if he had already come into the room and she shot him and he went back out the window. Either way, they find him outside the home. He's he's basically dead, right? What I like though is that she did some really good things. She locked her daughter in a in, and it says in a bedroom. I don't think that was the same one that she just shot this guy in, right? right? So what she basically did was she defended herself and her daughter. It does say that they were assaulted by the man. She shot him. So I guess maybe he must have come all the way in then. Uh, she shot him. He went back out. She then secures her daughter in a locked bedroom, and she continues to def- you know be ready to defend herself. She's got the gun, and she's calling 911. That's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's, that's, that's how this should play out. You have an intrusion into your home. You have a threat. You, you, 
in an ideal situation, you isolate that family, you protect them, you get them in a safe location, a safe room, if you will. I don't know if you have a proper safe room or not, but identify some options or some places that might serve as this purpose. And in the case of our household, um, we've got all of our rooms clustered together. It's pretty easy for me and or my wife to secure children and little ones into one of, any one of the bedrooms while I maintain a, a formidable defense, meaning I've got good sight lines, I can protect the area very effectively and defend the family. That's what we talk about when we talk about isolate the family and defend the room. Ideally, we're going to get everybody in one place, uh, defend them, you know, from a place where we've got that, that tactical advantage, which, uh, I certainly do in, in my case, you're going to want to give some thought. I mean, any of you that have a bedroom in one, you know, your, maybe your master bedroom in one part of the home and children or others in other rooms that are separated from you, you have to give some serious thought about what some of your tactics might be to defend the family in those situations. Those ones are a little bit trickier. Um, when I shop from a, for a home, I'm, I'm very much interested in a home where my rooms are clustered together. I know some people like, to, you know, parents maybe like to have a little separation, a little bit of privacy even from the, the kids. But if you're truly concerned about defense, defense is a lot easier when everybody's kind of clustered together at night and, you know, in particular where a lot of times these, these types of things can happen. Yeah, I, I agree. And without rehashing everything and going into a whole tactics, you know, uh, uh, discussion, but yeah, I mean, a lot of times we think if we're involved, if, if we hear a bump in the night, we're going to be, you know, sneaking through the house and, 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 you know, trying to locate this bad guy inside our home and, and, you know, going through the shadows and things like that. But the proper thing or the, the wisest thing to do would be to get your, family in an area that you can defend, make the call. And then, um, because you don't, and defend that area from a good vantage point, because you don't know how many people are in your your home. You don't know where they're hiding, what kind of weapons they have. Um, and so for you to go around trying to, you know, creep through the, uh, the shadows to, to kind of, uh, pop up on these, uh, on whoever's in your room or, or in your home, um, is more problematic than, than, uh, than trying to defend those people. Cause you know, your family is what you need, what is the most important, who cares what kind of damage they do in the home or what kind of stuff they take, you defend your family. And, uh, and so, yeah, she did, she did a good job. That's why I really liked this story. Yep. Good story and good analysis. Matthew, uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there for today. Uh, everyone that's been joining us on Facebook, thank you so much. We appreciate it. Um, those of you that are unable to do so, hey, that's why we still produce the podcast. And so, you know, you're getting the content one way or another. I did want to just remind you of our celebration for our 200th episode. It's hard to believe that in two days I will have done this actually more than 200 times because we've had some bonus episodes in between number one and number 200. Uh, but, but we'll, yeah, still doing this 200 times, 200 episodes is just, I mean, like I never imagined it would, <laughs> it would get to this point. There's, there's a part of me has to almost ask the question, Matthew, like what, what more could there be? Like it, it's already been so awesome, you know, surely it's got a, all good things come to an end. Right. 
But then we bring on awesome guys like you, and now you're producing the, the show, and you've got some really great ideas. Folks, you're going to see some, I think, positive, you know, nothing major. We, we're not trying to, like, totally shake up the show or the format or anything like that. But you're going to see some positive changes coming to the podcast in coming months. Yeah, so, there's nothing. I mean, um, the podcast, obviously, the last 200 episodes and still have a following and, and people enjoying it. You know, you don't <laughs> want to mess with success, right? Um, but you know, 200 episodes, uh, it's a lot. And, you know, uh, we got to try to look for any way we can spice it up to make you guys, um, you know, like it even, even more and continue to follow it. And, uh, and so we're going to be pinging you guys for, for ideas, um, because you guys are why we do it. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, in actually seeing, those that participate in the show and seeing the feedback uh, is what I, I think brings me even greater enthusiasm to continue doing the show. Uh, speaking of which, wanting to make the podcast more awesome, we have just a simple little survey that if you could just take, I mean, it, honestly, how long do you think it takes you to fill out this, this survey, Matthew? Well, a minute? <laughs> Maybe. It's, it's like eight or nine questions or something. I don't know. It's, it's, it's nothing much at all. So here's, here's why you're going to want to participate in the survey, though. If you are looking forward to uh, being considered for the drawing for one of these five prize packages that we have available um, at the, uh, as far as celebrating the 200, 200th episode of the Concealed Carry podcast, you've got to just answer a few questions for the survey and the next, you know, once you click next, it takes you to, to the, to the registration page where you get signed up and you enter in your information for the giveaway. So go right now to concealedcarry.com forward slash 200 giveaway, two zero zero G I V E A W A Y. And make sure you're signed up for the 200th episode giveaway, which we'll be announcing the winners next week. So thank you for everyone that supported us. Don't forget our other sponsors of this episode. Uh, it, sorry, I just saw a comment from Curtis. He said it took, it's two minutes, two minutes. Okay, sorry, Curtis, two minutes. Uh, that's still uh, hardly anything at all. And by the way, part of that survey is giving us some feedback. Uh, that's part of our effort to make the podcast better. There's a couple of questions about, you know, what can we do better? Um, also, what are things that you like and that you'd like to see continued with the podcast? So please leave us your feedback, your honest to goodness, you know, feedback. Always only leave positive reviews on iTunes, but give us like your harshest criticism in the survey. <laughs> so thank you everyone for supporting us. Our other sponsors are Glock eTrainer, glockeTrainer.com. Go check it out. Cool little training product. And also con uh, Concealed Carries Guardian Nation, guardiannation.com. All right. Thanks all for joining us and listening to this episode. Matthew, thank you for being part of this episode as well. I think I'd like to try to have you back along with Jacob as we record episode number 200. That just seems appropriate for some reason. So will you come back? I will, if you'll have me back. <laughs> You're the producer. I guess you can you know, call some of these shots now, right? <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks again, everyone. We will see you again very soon. We look, we'll try to go... Um, uh, we'll try to go live with the uh, Concealed Carry Podcast episode number 200 show on Thursday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Uh, so we will look to join you at that time on Facebook or for the rest of you that join us on the audio-only side of things. Totally cool. We'll see you Thursday. Take care, everyone. We'll catch you next time.
reminder that laws vary from place to place, and we encourage listeners to seek local legal advice to understand applicable laws. The Concealed Carry Podcast, Concealed Carry Inc., ConcealedCarry.com, and their affiliates strive to share insights and stories about firearm-related incidents and laws, but things could be different where you live, or laws may have changed by the time you listen to this. We cannot be held liable for your actions based on the information shared in this podcast.